0: Welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. I would now like to introduce our tax practice leader, Joe Buble. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. My name is Joe Buble. I'm a tax partner in the New York City office, as well as the firm's tax practice leader. Today, we're going to be talking about the state pass-through entity taxes, and to do so, we have Jamie Reichardt. Jamie is a principal in our Philadelphia office and part of our state local tax group. Jamie, welcome
1: morning, Joe, thanks.
0: Thanks for coming uh, on the podcast. We appreciate you taking your time. So let's get right into it. So we, we keep hearing a lot about the state pass-through entity taxes, PTE taxes. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about the story behind these and what are they designed to do? Absolutely.
1: So in a nutshell, um, this really the story goes back to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act at the end of 2017 where at the federal level, um, there was a limitation put in place in the Internal Revenue Code for individuals' deductions for state and local taxes paid. So individuals are capped at essentially a deduction of $10,000 for state income taxes, property taxes, et cetera. As a result, that has a detrimental effect on taxpayers in fairly high tax states And so many states, you know, across the country started trying to think about ways to come up with a workaround to that SALT deduction cap. And one of the methods that's been utilized by, you know, I think we're now up to like 12, 15 states is the idea of a pass-through entity tax. And in simple concept, the idea is that so individuals, their deduction is capped at the federal level. However, if the tax is paid and is a liability of the pass-through entity, it is not capped at the federal level. And so the structure of these taxes is really aimed at creating an entity-level tax at the pass-through entity level so that there is a federal deduction available. And that is the way in which essentially these states have come up with these workarounds um, to get around the salt cap deduction.
0: Okay, good. So can you give us some examples of some of the states that have adopted the PTE tax and the basic structure of how the taxes work?
1: Sure. Um, So really early on, you know, Connecticut was probably one of the first and they moved to a mandatory regime, meaning all pass-through entities um, that have nexus that are doing business in the state must report and pay the pass-through entity tax. And then other states like Rhode Island, New Jersey, Maryland, most recently, New York, California, Georgia, Massachusetts, as some examples, um, have adopted elected pass-through entity taxes, meaning that the pass-through entity and or its members have the ability to choose whether or not to elect into this new pass-through entity regime. And in a simple explanation, the way that this really works, again, is Tax is typically calculated as, um, depending on the state, there's some um, variations between whether or not, um, for residents, it's all income of the residents, right? Because residents have to pay tax on all income. And then versus non-residents, if it's just state source income. So let's just use the example of the tax base state source income. So what that means is that the pass-through entity pays tax essentially on the income sourced to the state using the state's apportionment formula and sourcing rules, meaning does it use a property, payroll, sales factor, or some combination of both to essentially apportion that income. And then those are the rules that are utilized to calculate state source income. The pass-through entity essentially pays the tax at the entity level for that state. And like I said, the the entity gets the deduction at the federal level. And for the state level, Again, that entity pays the tax. In general, with the exception of a few states, there is a credit. And that credit essentially is the amount of tax that is paid by the pass-through entity on account of each member or shareholder or partner. And that credit flows through to the individual owners or shareholders. And they file in the state their, their individual income tax returns and take credit for the amount of pass-through entity tax paid on their behalf. Thus, there's not really a double tax, it's just the pass-through entity tax. And this credit is essentially designed to wipe out the tax um, due at the individual level for that state. So that's really in a nutshell how the pass-through entity taxes work uh, from a structural perspective.
0: Okay, so if you were analyzing the benefits and the risks associated with it, how would you... uh... Just summarize some of each, some benefits, some risks.
1: Sure. So, you know, one of the things, obviously, you know, there's the federal benefit to consider. And one of, you know, some of the moving parts that come up in sort of the analysis of whether or not to make the election, um, how it works, and so forth is number one, you know, are, are we dealing with an entity that has um, a lot of resident partners? And the reason why we mentioned that is, again, because number one, there's sort of two associated issues. Number one was, remember, we just talked about the tax base, that some states will allow um, residents' unsourced income, meaning all the residents' income, to go into that tax base. So that's one potential implication that comes up. Another issue when it comes to residency is, let's say we're dealing with a pass through entity that has non residents right in the state and they file in their own resident states, and those resident states will not grant a credit for tax paid. So, you know, typically in the income tax world, when you have, you know, a resident, a resident, like I said, pays tax on all income. And if they earn income from another state, they pay tax to that state and generally receive a credit in their home state for the amount of tax paid to the other state. Now one of the questions that's hanging out there is some states that haven't adopted these pass through entity taxes, are they going to give credit to their residents for pass through entity taxes paid to another state by the pass through entity? So that's one issue that comes up quite um, you know quite frequently. Another issue that comes up is the utilization of the tax credits. So we talked about how um, the tax you know their the pass through entity pays the tax, and there are credits that flow through to the individual members or partners or shareholders. Um, there are some nuances in the rules in terms of whether or not these credits are refundable in most cases, or like in California, whether or not the credit um, has to be carried forward as opposed to be refundable. And additionally, you know, thinking about if the entity makes this election, is can it still file composite returns? Meaning can it file a group return on behalf of non-residents if it still makes this election? And some states like Maryland have said no, so that can be an added administrative cost of filing for going ahead and making this election. So there's you know, a number of different nuances that go into this. You know Another issue that comes up um, is non-resident withholding. Some you know, states have this pass-through entity regime and also still have non-resident withholding, meaning the pass-through entity has to pay tax on behalf of non-resident states source income. And so there could be a situation like New Jersey, for instance, where the pass entity pays both the, both the pass-through tax and non-resident withholding, thus creating you know, essentially uh, you know, a large outflow of cash um, that will need to be recouped by the individual taxpayer when they file their individual return. And then the final complication that we talked about a lot, but the final complication is based on IRS guidance specifically notice 2020-75, it would seem that even for accrual taxpayers, the pass-through entity taxes need to be paid in the taxable year for which the deduction is sought. And so that's a complicated factor as well.
0: Okay. And are there any other things that people should be thinking about to uh, help them decide whether or not to make the election?
1: You know, I think we touched upon a lot of the issues, but ultimately it comes down to here's, you know, the way that I would think about the analysis. Um, One, potentially computing the federal benefit and then measuring that benefit against all the considerations that we just talked about. So is it worth it in consideration of if there's not going to be a resident credit for certain partners, members or shareholders in their resident states, is it worth it if we cannot file a composite anymore? Um, those are some of the, you know, is it worth it if we have to outlay all this cash all up front to be able to do this? Um, there's also the notion of, you know, do we want to elect into this if we think maybe at the federal level, things might change maybe this year or next year, um, right? Because this whole issue goes away if the salt deduction cap is removed um, at the individual level. So there's you know a lot of moving parts in terms of understanding. One, who are the residents and non-residents in terms of calculating the tax base and resident credit issues? Where does the entity earn its income? How does it source income? Because that's going to be dependent. That's going to dictate the amount of income that's subject to tax. And then you know just again doing the mathematical analysis of cost versus benefit.
0: Yeah, and Jamie, based on what you said with all the complicating factors, I, I would imagine that the larger the company we're dealing with and they, they operate in more states and have owners in more states, you may have a situation where it's beneficial for certain owners to make the election and others it's not.
1: Absolutely. It's a great point. And that's something that I think needs to be thought about and looked into in the context of um, you know, partnership agreements, entity agreements. By way of an example, I was on a call recently you know, with a service provider. Again, we're in this exact same situation where there'd be a pretty decent benefit for resident partners. However, the non-residents are in states that aren't gonna grant tax credits for tax paid, and thus the benefit sort of on an aggregate level is effectively wiped out. But in this context, these state resident partners you know, have a significant amount of influence and really control the firm And so, you know, part of the conversation we were talking about is, you know, you may want to look at the partnership agreement or entity agreement to see what the ramifications are for making various tax elections and what authority, you know, whether it's the manager, the managing entity or, you know, director or officers have to make these elections if they could have detrimental impact, you know, to people that are residents in other states.
0: Sure. And, I would imagine with a partnership, it's easier. You can amend the partnership agreement, perhaps, to do so to some true-ups or offset people. But in an S-Corp context, you can't because you got the second-class of stock issue. Okay. Well, this is great, Jamie. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast today. Um, Thanks again. And to our audience out there, I hope everyone is staying safe. Please carry on and have a
1: good day. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Take care.